Hope you're ready to dive into God's word this morning. Hope you've come expectant um, and your heart and your minds are open. This morning, as Matt mentioned, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to follow the Spirit of God. So I invite you guys to turn in your copies of Scripture to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Uh, That's where we're going to spend all of our time in kind of the first half of Acts chapter 16. Got a couple other passages of scripture. We'll have those on the screen for you, but encourage you to turn there in your devices or in your copy and, um, and follow along. Narratives are amazing. I love to speak from narratives, from story in Scripture, and uh, to see and understand how God moved in in the life of the early church. And uh, this morning, Acts chapter 16 is going to be monumental for us as we talk about uh, the Spirit of God and, and what that looks like in our lives. Now, the word spirit in the New Testament is from the Greek word pneuma, and that carries along the idea of wind or breath, and it's incredible to really think about the whole entire story of God, right, going all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, where that uh, very similar word is used in the Hebrew, where it says God breathed into Adam the breath of life. That very idea of that breath that that gives existence, that made something that wasn't into something that is, is what we also see paralleled in the book of Acts chapter 2. In the Old Testament, uh, God created Adam out of nothing and created him into a being now that could exist and that could move and that could work and that could live and that could think and that could make a difference. God gave him that life, that breath. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the New Testament version of that, which is that same idea, that wind, that breath, that spirit causing us to become alive in this new testament in this new covenant as the people that began to follow after jesus and step into a new life were given this holy spirit of god and as matt mentioned last week and as we've mentioned to you a couple times last year it's a great phrase that other pastors and ministries have used that says believe it or not it's better to have god inside of you than to have God beside you, right? I think sometimes we look through the Gospels and we're like, man, how great would it have been to be there with Jesus and to follow uh, along with him and to be one of his disciples and have his physical presence right there so you could ask him a question, so you could observe what he's doing, so you could follow after his example. And that would have been incredible. And we're so thankful that we have this account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, references to who Jesus was and what he did and how we can be like him. But it was Jesus himself, you remember, who said, it is better for you that I go away, because unless I go away, I will not send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who will live within you and multiply all of the great works that I have started and been an example uh, for you on this earth. 
So here we are in the New Testament and we've got the Holy Spirit of, of, of God within us if we truly are believers, if we've taken that step from death to life, that step of belief, we have got a power within us to do incredible things. And so what we wanna dive into here is just a couple of different aspects of that from Acts chapter 16 as we pick up the story. And um, I've kind of fashioned the message into four points Okay, we were joking around backstage with our worship team and I was kind of going over and they're like, four points? Isn't the biblical number three? You know, like, isn't that what all the pastors do? Like three points? Like, no, we've got four. And to make things even a little bit more um, traditional, uh, there's key words in each of these points that all start with the same letter. Okay, some of you have been around church for a while, I've been to churches like that, you know, when I went to college and seminary, that's kind of the way they taught you, it's like, here's what you do, they all start with the same letter, and that struck me as kind of hokey a lot of times and trying to force something together, but honestly, over these last couple of weeks as I was going through these, these, these verses, these words just kind of came out and they all start with the letter P, and they, I think that that's, these are strong words, so it's not trying to force weird things in, because believe me, in my history of being a pastor 20 years, there's times where I couldn't get all the alliteration, so I just went with a totally different letter and tried to make it work that way, you know, early on, trying to fit into the mold of like, this is what great pastors do, they make everything work. But anyway, we've got four Ps here, uh, here this morning, and I, and I truly hope that the Lord will... Um, Use these to impact your life and resonate with your story and where you are right now. Um, the Greek word for, for Holy Spirit, um, um, you know, it carries along the idea of a counselor. The Greek word is paraclete. And literally it means one who's called alongside to help. Doesn't it help to have a great counselor? Somebody who when you don't know the answer, when you don't know what to do, uh, somebody who's wise that you can call on, that you can pour your heart out to, and like, you know, I need some advice right here. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. What about it even in the physical aspect, right? You ever like have a big problem, like your air conditioning goes out and you know somebody and a name comes into my mind right away that like, I know somebody who would be willing to help and knows way more about this stuff than I do. And you call them and you're like, dude, I need help. Can you come over? Can you assist? I need you. That's what the Holy Spirit is even at the physical aspect. If you're going through a sickness, if you've got physical pain, you're going through something in your life and you're like, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need help. I need somebody to come alongside and to help with this weight. That's who the Holy Spirit is. So guys, when we're talking about this stuff um, in, in scripture here, you know, I think it's easy to be trite and trivial and, uh, you know, we just, we throw around the terms like Trinity and when somebody's baptized, you know, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and we kind of throw these things around, but man, we need to feel this morning the weight and the power of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives. And so I just hope and pray that we are 
prepared for that and ready for that this morning here as we dive in to, um, to these four different aspects. The first one that I want to talk about is simply to write down this. Uh, number one, the Holy Spirit prepares us for our moment. He prepares us for our moment. Anybody here uh, like not being prepared for something? Anybody here like being surprised? Anybody here like being embarrassed because you didn't plan ahead or you didn't think things through? Of course, nobody likes that, right? That's one of our big fears. And when we talk about embarrassing moments, those are kind of some of the things is like, oh, I didn't think that through, I didn't see that coming, and here's kind of what happened. And one of my favorite stories to tell about that is um, back when I was in seminary, um, and this just recently came to mind because, of course, my favorite team in the world is the New York Yankees. Uh, and they were playing the Boston Red Sox last night as part of the playoffs. Any baseball fans here? Raise your hand. Anybody watch that game? Raise your hand. Um, did I watch the game to the end last night? No, of course not. Because I am a pastor and I understand the weight and gravity of preaching the next morning. So I'm going to sleep. I will confess that to you. I did not stay up. And the Lord honored that because the Yankees won last night. Thank you. And I do believe I was somehow responsible in the grand scheme of things for that. No. But I, I'm a Yankee fan, and I have been for a very, very long time. And I was in seminary at one point, and we were doing this exercise with the whole entire class, Greek class, in seminary. And it was a silent exercise where we were supposed to be translating something from, from Greek into English. And it was an evening, and there was a game going on, and everybody's quiet, and the professor's up there. And I'm on my computer, and I just decided that I was just going to check the score of the game really quickly. So I just type in yankees.com and hit return, look around real quick, and nobody's looking at me. And for some reason, my particular computer had been hooked up to the speaker system in the entire room of 30-plus seminarians, plus a professor that was very grumpy. And so over the whole loudspeaker in the room, you hear, Welcome to the New York Yankees homepage. And every... Every head immediately turned to me, and I started to get all red and sweaty. I'm like, how'd that happen, you know? Not thinking things through, being embarrassed because you're not prepared. You know, and we think about this idea of preparation and being ready and, and, and not falling short and not coming up short. Well, what we see here in Acts chapter 16, right from the beginning, is one of the things that the Holy Spirit of God does is, is, is he prepares us. He's working behind the scenes to orchestrate incredible moments for us. Let's start reading in Acts chapter 16 um, to kind of get ourselves back up to speed. It says this, Now Paul came also from Derbe to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and we can just stop right there. And what we see here right now, guys, right out of the gate, is that the Holy Spirit of God had been orchestrating something that nobody would have thought of. And he had been preparing Timothy through a series of events to get him ready for this particular moment to step out into something great and incredible. 
A few things that we need to understand here about this, this man, Timothy, and his relationship with Paul. We need to recognize that um, there were some childhood experiences in the life of Timothy that potentially could have sidelined him. Okay, you'll notice he ref- references it here. He was the son of a Jewish woman. Okay, that's good. That's important. So he's part of the people of God, right? The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. That's, even, that's, that's great. But his father was a Greek. Timothy's father was a pagan, was godless, was an idolater. And you need to understand, in that culture, that made Timothy an outcast, a half-breed, if you will. Disrespected, cast out by those who were the religious ones, and shamed because of his heritage, because of his childhood. We get a deeper insight into some of this in the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Check out this passage of scripture here. This is Paul writing to Timothy, okay? And this is years after, but even so. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Remember that phrase. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Such a great relationship they had, right? Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, there it was mentioned in Acts chapter 16, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame that gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of love and of self-control. Now, church, a couple of things that we need to gather out of this. And the first one is you need to recognize that the very, very important concept that we see here in this element of the Spirit preparing us for our moment um, and the Spirit redeeming childhood experiences, redeeming your history, redeeming your family wreckage potentially, is think about this phrase. The spiritual supersedes the physical. The spiritual realm, the spiritual family, what God desires to do, supersedes, overcomes, replaces, redeems whatever happened in the spiritual, in the physical realm. And what I mean by that is this, in in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, what did Paul say about Timothy? You are my true child in the faith. Five other times in scripture, Paul talks about Timothy as my true son in, in the faith. He mentions that over and over and over and over again. What's the significance of that? The significance is is that Timothy was never seen as a true son. Timothy was seen as somebody who was an outcast and a a halfling. Not as valuable, not not worth the true blood that runs through the the pure Jewish um, people. He had been corrupted. And yet Timothy 
now is hearing from Paul, no, you are my true child. You are my true son. And the Holy Spirit had been preparing you even through your own personal history through this moment. So whatever label Timothy had growing up, the Lord redeemed. His misfortune was turned into um, a term of endearment. The banner of redemption was over Paul and his relationship with Timothy. So I want us to think for a moment about this idea about the Spirit moving along with us and preparing us for this moment in redeeming some of these labels and even your, your childhood uh, experiences and growing up. Maybe for some here, uh, your spouse divorced you and you're feeling rejected and that's kind of your label. Maybe you're feeling fearful or abandoned or abused, made fun of. No matter what the label is, it's an opportunity as the Spirit is developing and preparing us, it's an opportunity to experience a redemption through Jesus. Timothy was rejected by the Jews, but lovingly accepted by Christ. He was not good enough, not pure enough for Judaism, but he was loved and accepted and embraced by Christianity. I want us just to park on that for a moment and just think about that idea. Even as you look back, that the Holy Spirit had been moving and working and redeeming even broken situations. Even to this point, you remember perhaps just two years ago, that was, that was you know, where Timothy accepted the Lord and where Paul converted him. Perhaps you remember several months ago when we talked about the story of Paul when he was in Lystra. Do you remember that city where Paul went in and was preaching the gospel and the people got so upset that they stoned him and they dragged him outside of the city and they left him for dead? That was the city that Timothy lived. That's where he was. That's where he was converted. And you remember when Paul finally opened his eyes and said, I'm not dead yet, <laughs> quite yet. And all of his friends were around him. What does it say? That he got back up and he hobbled right back into the city of Lystra. And Timothy saw that. And that was part of the Spirit's preparation of Timothy for this moment. That inspiration of even watching somebody else suffer, watching somebody else who had such a bold faith and who was so unafraid of death that he was willing to go right back into that very city where they so mistreated him. Timothy saw that and that made a huge impact on him and the spirit was using somebody else's tragedy and triumph to make a difference in his life. The Holy Spirit was preparing him for this moment. What I want you to think about this morning, church, is that there's always someone watching. You're mistreated right now. You're going through difficulty right now. You're going through a trial or a tribulation even right now. There's always somebody that's going to be watching what you're going to do, how you're going to react in that moment. 
And it could be that even through your tribulation, the Holy Spirit is preparing and inspiring somebody else to get ready for their moment. So here's, here's Paul going back um, with Timothy and saying, hey, you know what? I know that you got a great reputation. I know that you're growing. I know that you're strong. I want you to go with me and the Holy Spirit's been preparing you for this very moment. The Holy Spirit prepares us. Point number two. At times, the Holy Spirit prevents us. Prevents us. Let's look in verse six and verse seven. Remember, these guys are noble. They're going, they're wanting to share the gospel. They're wanting to do good things. Let's keep on reading in, uh, in verse six of Acts chapter 16, what's happening here. And they, that is Paul and Timothy now, right? They went through the region of um, Phrygia and Galatia. Look at this phrase. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Keep reading in verse 7. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Notice this phrase. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Guys, one of the very interesting aspects of the Holy Spirit is that is at times he closes doors that look so incredible to us. They're wanting to share the word. They're wanting to share the gospel. In two separate times it says, nope, spirit forbid them. Over here we wanted to go, nope, the spirit of Jesus forbid them, did not allow them to go into these cities, even though they wanted to do something good. This is big for us this morning, guys, as we think about our own motivations, as we think about the way that we would like our life to go and the way we think that we, uh, the direction that we want to go in and how God can best use us. This is a living example right here with, uh, with, with Paul and Timothy. They wanted to do good things, wanted to share the gospel, weren't afraid of getting beat down or whatever. But for some reason, it stopped. And we don't know what that really looked like. We don't know if that was something internal, a, a unrest in the heart of Paul and Timothy that just said, I just don't feel like this is what we should be doing. Or we don't know, honestly, if this was something physical. Or how, just how God led them to that conclusion that I don't want you to do that. That may look good, but I don't want you to do that. We're not given... Um, detailed instructions as to how God moved in that way. But what we do know is there are times that things look really, really good to us, but the Holy Spirit is in essence going to prevent us from doing that. There's a phrase that became very dear uh, to me a long, long time ago uh, as pertaining to a relationship that went south before I got married. And somebody told me at one point, rejection is God's protection. Right? Maybe you've heard that one before, and that meant a lot to a you know, 19-year-old broken-hearted uh, Bible college student when I was digging this girl, and she said, she gave me the Heisman Trophy and get away from me, you know, and hey, you know what's all right, man? Rejection is God's protection. Oh, yeah, but you don't understand. She's so amazing, and she's so beautiful, and so poetic, and so like, oh, yes, all this great thing. You know, No, forget it. 
The Lord brought something way better my way, right? But we see that in life. We want to do great things and, and maybe we really want that job or we really want to get into that school or man, we really want a family of our own. And for some reason, the Spirit of the Lord closes that door. I know you want to get through there. I know you've got great ideas. I know you've got great intentions and you've got a great heart. But for some reason, God's just saying, you have to trust me. This door is being shut. And Paul and Timothy experience that firsthand. But what I love about them and what you see here is they just kept on moving. They weren't really sure what was going to happen next, but they just kept on moving. Okay, that door shut. Okay, Lord, well, you've got something else. You've got something else for it. Defies our human logic, but Lord, you are good enough and you are strong enough and it's going to make sense. This may look good to me, but it may not be meant to be. I trust you, God. And that's where they land. Number three, how about this one? The Spirit propels us towards a need not only does it prepare us not only at times will it prevent us but it also propels us towards something I love that word because it's the idea of action right and here we are we're talking about you will go you will you will step out you will do something the spirit propels us check out this incredible account here start reading in verse 9 it says this and so then a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that incredible that what this looked like for him was a vision? We don't, again, we're not privy to, okay, we know that God can do whatever he wants. God can work in a lot of different ways. There are some people that would say, you know what, the Lord doesn't speak directly to people anymore. Um, you know, I believe the Lord can speak through dreams. I believe the Lord can, can do whatever he wants to do. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, Right? You always got to be careful when somebody gets up there and is like, well, God told me that I need to do this. You know, you need to check it against Scripture. This is our authority, and, and, and we understand those things. But what we see here is Paul clearly had a vision, and there was somebody saying, I need help. Come over, and the Lord spoke to him through a vision, through a dream. I've had moments in my life where I felt like the Lord clearly was moving me to change and do something different. And one that I'm proud of that I look back on that's like, yeah, okay, Lord, I can definitely see where you use that um, was, was a few years back when I was a student pastor. I've mentioned to you guys I was in metro uh, Detroit area, north of Detroit, and, and we had a student ministry and we were taking mission trips all over the world. Um, I think one summer we had like 11 different mission trips at the student ministry level that we sent people out. It's crazy. But one night I was just sitting at home and I was just flipping through my TV and it was like 10, 10.30 at night and I came across this documentary on IFC, you know, the independent film channel. It's got like a lot of weird stuff on there but certainly has some documentaries and I love that. And there's a documentary on there. It was called Brick City. And it wasn't talking about NC State's campus. 
Isn't that called like the brick yard, brick town, brick something? Maybe? Yeah, okay. Brick City is another name for Newark, New Jersey. And I grew up five miles from Newark. And here I am many years later living in a totally different state, student ministry pastor, and there's this documentary called Brick City. And I just became absolutely riveted by it because it was following around a a teacher, the mayor of Newark, um, the chief of police, and and a couple, uh, a single mom, and like these few other people, and just talking about their lives in Newark and the difficulty of inner city life, the difficulty of crime and addiction and brokenness and society and how to get out of it and all this stuff. And I was so absolutely riveted because I recognized these places and because of the way this The way this documentary was created so drew me in, I watched four or five of them in a row. It was one of those things where they're on like back to back to back to back, right? So the next thing you know, it's like three o'clock in the morning and I gotta go to work the next day, but I'm just so riveted and heartbroken by seeing this brokenness of the inner city and it was almost like there we are in the middle of the night and it's like the Lord saying to me, it's like, Jerry, you know what? The most broken city in the entire country is is 20 minutes away from where you are right now. And so why are we sending people to India and to West Virginia and all over the world and all over the country? Not that any of that's bad, but man, what if we just took a summer and we focused on what is right here in front of you, the brokenness that is right here in your backyard? And it was like that vision was painted. That passion was was stirred up. So I got together with my team the next day. I'm like, guys, it's crazy, I know, but what if we didn't do any other mission trips this next summer? I know we've created this culture and people are excited and what are you gonna do this year and next year and options and what if we just did away with all that and said, nope, you know what we're doing? We're going to Detroit. And we're gonna spend the entire, the entire time, we're gonna be in the city of Detroit, ministering to people, working through churches, running to the broken, cleaning up um, abandoned houses and just serving the city. And it was just so cool and so clear the way the Lord um, gave that vision to me and my team and, and saw incredible things happen. And that summer we saw about 250 students and leaders from our church serving all throughout Detroit in 25 different locations. It was awesome. As a matter of fact, this next weekend, I'm going to do a wedding for for a guy named Chad who was in middle school when we started to do that. And he developed such a heart for the city that he came back and became a full-time missionary working in Detroit amongst a broken people. And so when you follow a passion, you see what happens in the, in the wake of all that. And I can't wait to stand up there in front of him and his fiance, Jenna, who also served with us in Detroit, and that's where they live now, that's where they serve now, because God gave a vision and a passion. It propels us towards a need. <laughs> it's not easy. But that's the way God works and with Paul and with Timothy. That's what he was leading them to. Nerve-wracking, fearful. But that's what God perhaps is calling somebody here to. Some vision, some passion, propelling them towards running to people who are in need. 
It's incredible. Well, number four, we got to keep moving. I got other stuff here, man. But we got to keep moving. Number four, the Spirit positions us to make a difference. The Holy Spirit positions us to make a difference. Let's keep reading in verse 11, Acts chapter 16. This is like the culmination. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to um, Samothrace. Love these city names. And the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. There it is. We're going to step out. We've been given this vision. They need help. I'm going to go help. So we're going to go to Philippi, right? Number th- or, uh, verse number 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Such a beautiful account, guys. And here's why. Paul and Timothy had an idea. Nope, door shut. Okay, something else. Lord, gives us passion. We're gonna go out there. We're gonna see what happens. You can imagine even a couple of days of frustration for them, right? Because it says they went throughout the city and and here was a Sabbath. This was their day to connect with other people that believed the same way they did. And a little bit of history for you. There wasn't a tabernacle. There wasn't a temple in the whole city of Philippi, it seems. Because according to ancient literature, there's a, a rule called the minyan, from the Talmud, which basically means there's a minimum requirement of 10 men that need to gather together to perform official services. They couldn't even find 10 other believers in this entire city. So they went outside the city and they went over by a river and who did they see? Any other men out there? They saw a gathering of women. Guys, this is big because this is, this is gospel-centric. This is elevating. You know what? These are women that are gathering together, that are taking leadership, that are having their own service because the men couldn't be found. Amen to that? This is elevating the value of women. And here they are, and they're right by a river so that they can do the ceremonial baptisms and so that they can have some worship times together. And the Lord had orchestrated that throughout all the frustration. The Lord had orchestrated that for Paul and Timothy to come and to engage and interact with these women. And God positioned them right there so that they could share the gospel. And it's like this woman named Lydia, it says that she was a God-fearing woman. She was a God-fearer, which basically means they believe in the God of the Old Testament. So they're on their way, but they hadn't yet heard or given the chance to accept Jesus. So they're seeking and they're believing the scriptures. And yes, we believe in Yahweh of the Old Testament, but now all of a sudden, here's Paul and Timothy saying, 
okay, let me explain to you. Maybe you hadn't heard there is a Messiah and you can be saved. And this is what all that was pointing to. And gave her the opportunity and her whole household to come to faith in Christ because the Lord had positioned her perfectly to be in that spot where they were going to come and be able to share the word with them. And I love just this character that I picture in my mind of who Lydia is. Okay, it says she was a seller of purple. Okay, so I wonder what perhaps she was wearing. She was all into the purple. All right? But she was obviously a wealthy businesswoman, we get the idea later on. She was very prominent. She funded uh, a lot of the mission trips of the early church and, and of Paul and everybody else, right? She was a huge support and God used her personality. God uses her finances for the kingdom because God had positioned and ordained this interaction to take place. I love that it says she was from Thyatira. We know from Revelation chapter 2, much later on, that there was a church in Thyatira. We don't know anything. There's no account of who started it or whatever. I wonder if she was so turned on to the gospel, so excited about what God was doing, that she went back to her hometown and said, hey, we can do this here. I love her personality, too, of generosity. You see that here? You can kind of picture it. You know, it says uh, later on, it says, um, she urged us saying, hey, if you've judged me faithful, come stay at my house. Come on over. Notice that last line, and she prevailed upon us. She wouldn't take no for an answer. You know any of those people that are so generous, that are so loving, they want to support you, and, and they want to be a part of things? And they don't want to take no for an answer. That's the kind of person that Lydia was. Paul, what do you need for your mission trip headed out from here? Do you need some socks? I got some purple ones. You need a backpack? I got it. I'll make it. That's who she was. And God ordained all of that. It's pretty incredible. Well, as we conclude, I mean, here's the time where we just talk about application. We talk about application. We got these four phrases, these four words, and, and I just really want you to think through, and honestly, you can just bow your heads and close your eyes, and I don't want to be a distraction up here by talking. Scott's going to come out and play a little bit, but I, I just want us to think about the Holy Spirit, and I just want to ask you a couple of questions here. Um, and the first one is this. So what do you think the Spirit of God has been preparing you to do what collective life experiences have you had what history what wreckage perhaps growing up what names have you been labeled that need to be redeemed just like timothy who else have you seen suffering uh, so much that now you see serving and you're inspired to do the same thing what is going to change your story what is the spirit of god preparing you to do. If you think about it, the entire chapter of Hebrews uh, 11 is there for us as an inspiration. It's the story of people that had to go through incredibly difficult things that God had, unbeknownst to them, been working in their heart to prepare them for these moments. For David to step out in front of the giant, for Joseph to stand up in front of his 10 brothers who hated him and rejected him, for Moses to get up in front of Pharaoh, 
all these different things that you see listed all throughout Scripture, the Spirit of God had been preparing them. How about this one? Number two, what doors have you tried to open and you've been prevented? Where has the Spirit cut you off at the pass? And what's been your response to that? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it contempt? Is it distrust? Is it insisting on your own way? Is it pleading with God saying, I'm trying to do something good. Why are you stopping me? Paul continued to press on in another direction, even when the Spirit shut doors in front of him. What about number three? What are you being propelled to do? What are you driven by? What are you impassioned by? What visions do you have? What ideas keep on coming to your mind? What thoughts can you not bat away enough? They just keep on bothering you. And what are you going to do about it? The name White Oak Foundation keeps on coming to your mind. You keep driving by. Man, I should go there. Man, I should serve. Man, I should uh, do something. That idea of adoption. Those neighbors who you keep on seeing. God is drawing you and propelling you to do something. The Spirit is giving you that vision and will you go? Who is showing up and saying to you, will you come help us? Man, maybe I should step out. Maybe I should serve. Maybe they need more assistance as part of Northwest in a volunteer role or in some other key role. And finally, where has God positioned you to make a difference? Maybe you're inconvenienced. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe it's not going according to plan, your life, your job, your school. But Lydia was there. And Lydia was ready. What an asset she turned out to be. So what are your positions? Who are those influences? Who knows if this is just planting a seed or if the fields are white and ready for harvest.